Where does the glory of God reside and rest and dwell in this world right now? On an afflicted believer. Yeah. Who's at the end of himself, the end of herself, wondering, how do I even go on? That's where the glory comes. And it's so counterintuitive because we still find ourselves thinking, well, the power of Christ must be in the biggest church, the best church, the brightest pastor, you know, all those kinds of things. But that's the power of Christ here is 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 seen in weak Christian men and women who are clinging on to the Lord. Welcome to You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. We're delighted to be part of the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. We're grateful to them. We're grateful to you for spending this time with us. It's it's our privilege to have these these moments with you. So thank you for, for listening. Welcome to Ray. Thank you. Great to be with you, Sam. Ray, um, just to kick us off, Emmanuel Worship is the, the sort of music ministry at Emmanuel Nashville and have released a new album recently. Tell us about that. And the album is entitled Gospel Culture, available where, you know, all the streaming services and download services and so forth. But it is an album about rejoicing in and celebrating a church as a manifestation of gospel culture. Mm. What does that look like? How does a church like that sing? Mm. And it's, I love this album. Any, any standout tracks for you? The third track is, um, is just entitled, as I recall, gospel culture. Yeah. And it's this bluesy, yeah. um, like sort of joyous, seriously joyful bluesy number that, if I were a composer, it wouldn't have occurred to me to come up with that sound and that vibe. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. I love the um, Will Duvall's song, Jesus Christ, Lamb of God. Yes. It's so beautiful. He, he he opens talking about the bruised reed that Jesus will not break, just the sort of that, that tender, yes. sacrificial love of Jesus. So... Um, do we'd encourage you to to get a hold of that it's a wonderful album um it may be something you can use with your with your churches as well maybe some tracks there that you can sing congregationally but um oh one more sam the very first cut gospel plus safety plus time i dare anybody to listen to that and not be lifted up yeah <laughs> i don't think we've we've talked about that formula yet in this podcast have we not just in case we haven't, remind us what it is. Okay, what? gospel plus safety plus time. It's just a simple, as you say, formulaic way of that at Emmanuel that we articulate what we're reaching for when we describe the intangibles of gospel culture. Yeah. Gospel, good news for bad people, lots of it every Sunday, all the time, never get tired of it. Plus safety. Um, the space where seriously flawed people like every one of us can rethink our lives at a deep level without worrying what's going to happen to us if we actually open up yeah. and get real. Gospel plus safety plus time, uh, because God is patient. I remember in my Last conversation with David Paulison, he asked me how I was doing, and I gave him an honest answer, and he said, well, Ray, God is patient. Mm. 
Where would we be without the patience of God? And a gospel culture church is a patient church. God is not putting our sanctification, he's not measuring it with a stopwatch. Mm. Just as well. Yeah. We change, if we're going to change deeply, it takes time. It really does. And, I've, you know, the, the danger is we, we can say to a, a broken-hearted sinner, hey, we, we told you the gospel last week. Why, why, aren't, why isn't your life together yet? Mm-hmm. But it, it takes us a very long time to, to change, isn't it? Yeah. I, uh, Psalm 57.1 really is gospel plus safety plus time. It's, you know, Lord, uh, you know, deliver me, uh, hide me in your shelter till the storms of destruction pass by. Mm. So who doesn't need the gospel? Who doesn't need safety? Who doesn't need time? We bring those three things together and it creates a space, a a social environment in which um, really messed up people can get their lives back. Yeah. Which is great. Good. Well, Ray, um, this episode, we're doing something slightly different. Uh, we're doing. It's going to be. We're going to have a Bible study. <laughs> okay. So a passage that I know is is very dear to to your heart and to mine is is Second Corinthians twelve one through ten. Um, Paul talking about the thorn in the flesh, and it, it struck me this really is one of those passages that is a, a kind of bullseye passage for thinking through gospel ministry, particularly gospel culture, and the, the sort of the fuel for it um, is not our own grandiosity and impressiveness and abilities, but actually. We'll get to this, but but Paul saying in verse 9, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. And thinking, that is not my natural starting point when it comes to ministry, when it comes to how I see this world around me. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, how did Paul get to there? Because he he's not someone who will only admit a weakness when he absolutely has to, and it's kind of unavoidable now, so I guess I'll have to say, yes, I've got a weakness. He's gladly boasting of weaknesses plural um that is part of how the lord is using him he says so that the power of christ may rest upon me that that's where we see the power of jesus today is not someone out awesoming the world but someone boasting gladly of of weakness so let's think together about how how paul gets there and let the passage let the passage take us there um Help us set the scene, Ray. What's what's going on in, in chapter 12 here? Yeah. It's a strange passage. It's a strange book. I remember Murray Harris, the great uh, New Testament grammarian and exegete, saying that the very syntax of the Greek text of 2 Corinthians is disturbed and upset because Paul is disturbed and upset. Hmm. He said this is the most human book in the New Testament. He's raw. He is real. He's really hurting, really distressed. And, um, of course, the always formidable uh, false teachers who uh, uh, were luring the Corinthian church away from Christ. Uh, They were always on top and uh, always victorious, etc. And Paul flips it in this passage. He says they they boast of their spectacular experiences and their, their mountaintop highs and so forth. I would rather boast about my catastrophic disasters and setbacks and disadvantages and weaknesses and failings. God doesn't meet our power with his greater power. God meets our weakness with his power. Mm. 
which really rubs us the wrong way. It really rubbed the Corinthians the wrong way. I mean, these were precious people. Paul loved them. He adored them. And they were the most flippant, self-admiring, immature, uh, kind of mouthy church in the New Testament. And he just loved them. And we are so Corinthian today, and we're way too impressed with ourselves. We need to be impressive way more than we should. If we have Christ, then our own impressiveness should become distasteful to us. Mm. But, okay, so we don't get that automatically. It's not intuitive. So Paul has to actually talk to us and explain this to us. Mm. And, and we all end up loving Second Corinthians 12. Yeah. It's I mean, so reassuring, isn't it? How could we get out of bed in the morning without Second Corinthians 12? Yeah. So Paul is pushing back against actually not just a this passage is not describing a denominational option. Yeah. This passage is describing authentic Christianity as opposed to false teachers and heresy. Yeah. That's what's at stake here. So that's what's going on as we enter into the passage, Sam. What what stands out to you here? Yeah, my my eye just landed on chapter 11, verse 30, where Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So it's interesting. He's he's playing their game, but by his rules. Yeah. So that they're sort of clearly saying that Paul is not as impressive as they are, these other leaders. Uh, he's not as impressive in all the Corinthian ways that they think you should be. And and Paul's just totally leaning into that and going, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm... The way Paul is wanting to show the legitimacy of his leadership isn't by saying, hey, on on every measurable metric, I'm better than you. He's saying, here's what qualifies me as a a leader is my lack. Hmm. Not my brilliance, but my lack. And so I'm going to boast of the things that show my weakness, not because he's self-loathing or anything like that, but because he, he, he knows something about we are, we are never more useful to the Lord than when we're depending on him. Yes. And we never depend on the Lord more than when we're weak. Hmm. And Paul is personally embarrassed as he writes this. He's very uncomfortable. He says in verse 11, I've been a fool. Yeah. yeah. But you drove me to it. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is not his, his natural way of having to, to speak about himself. He's uncomfortable talking about himself, not because he's so shy, but because his ministry is not about himself. It is truly yeah. about Christ. I think the key is the first phrase of verse 10, for the sake of Christ. Yeah. yeah. If that purpose grips my heart and for the sake of Ray loosens, loosens its grip mm. and for the sake of Christ enters in, I stop this need to be really well thought of, mm. to be formidable, to be impressive. And I relax. Mm. And I begin to thrill to the idea, you mean the power of Christ could rest upon me? Mm. I totally don't deserve that. I'd love to get involved in that. And as J.I. Packer in his book, we're going to talk about it later, says, weakness is the way. Yeah. And it's liberating, isn't it? Because if it, if it does ultimately come down to how impressive I am, if that's really what the kingdom of God is is going to be hinging, hinging on, I'm, I'm always going to be second-guessing. I'm always going to be looking over my shoulder. I'm always going to be insecure. I'm always going to be despairing. Even when I've managed somehow 
to to pull off something where people do think I'm impressive, it's so fragile. Um, it could all come crashing down at any moment. Yes. Whereas actually, if if weakness is the way to to use Packer's language, I can exhale. It doesn't matter. Mm. Um, it it's it's not contingent on me. There's a security in that. It stabilizes me. There are pastors out there who just can't help but be impressive. I mean, they're just amazing. They have a fantastic sense of humor, an amazing sort of presence in a room. Uh, their natural gestures in preaching are sort of charming. And I mean, they're just truly amazing and they can't help it. It's okay. And God made them like that. Yeah. But what about the rest of us? Yeah. So if 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 Pastor X is just thoroughly impressive in every respect all the time, God bless him. Yeah. We're, we're, we don't despise him. He's not being unspiritual by being himself in yeah. Christ. But the rest of us, yeah. the mere mortals, right? Yep. Uh, who uh, I was preaching the other day and stumbled, I think I stumbled over the word especially. I had a hard time <laughs> pronouncing the word especially. <laughs> well, the English language can be challenging for, for, for those for whom it's not there. So you know. those of us who, who do stumble and who feel outclassed all the time. That's just the mentality with which we enter into each moment. This passage really helps. Every pastor who is faithful to the biblical gospel and loves the Lord and sees in himself so many reasons Mm. why he really should not make an impact for Christ, that man is equipped in every essential for the power of Christ to rest upon him the yeah. same way the power of Christ rested upon the Apostle Paul. Hmm. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. I, I love this this text for so many reasons, but one of one of which is if I really stop and think about what have I got going for me that should make anyone feel like they, they need to listen to me, that's a painful question to ask. <laughs> um, and this, this passage is saying, if I've got the real Jesus, that's all I need. If I'm unimpressive on every single other measurable thing, but I have the real Jesus and I'm preaching the real Jesus, you can't be in a spiritually stronger position than that. Okay, here's a real-life historic example of what you're talking about. I'm thinking of the Kempslang Revival, I think in 1742, up, as I recall, in the Glasgow area. And although George Whitfield, now there was a sparkling personality, mm. right? He just had a natural flair and sort of dramatic manner and his fantastic voice. And God built him uh, for that. So that's fine. But he came up to assist once that awakening was underway because it started under the ministry of a parish minister named um, Mr. McCullough. Mm who his own son in subsequent writings said was, my language, sort of a lackluster personality. He was not a glittering personality. Mm. He was an ordinary man in pastoral uh, parish ministry without the gifts of a Whitfield. But it was through McCullough that the Canvas Lang revival mm. began because the power of Christ rested on that man. Yeah. And... And so we, we praise God for the George Whitfields of this world, but we are also really thankful for the McCulloughs of this world because most of us are McCulloughs. Yeah. And God can use us wonderfully. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. 
Well, Paul talks about this this thorn in the flesh in verse seven. He's just talked about this this spiritual experience, this extraordinary revelation that he received from the Lord, something he wasn't even wanting to talk about. But he says in verse seven, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, which I mean, that's astonishing in itself. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Um, I'm, I'm struck by the fact Paul twice says in the same sentence to keep me from becoming conceited. Um, so this thorn in the flesh, and we can get into what that means and, and all the rest of it. God's purpose with that thorn is to stop Paul from being conceited. Clearly, whatever Paul had seen through this revelation was so glorious, so unusual. Paul may have been the only person who ever saw whatever it was he saw. To keep him from becoming conceited, this thorn is given to him in the flesh, this this cause of pain, this this suffering. And it's it's sobering to me. Paul has listed the dangers that he's he's facing in the previous chapter. Um, you know, he, he talks about, I'm in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. You know, wherever he is, he's in danger. And yet it seems one of the most significant dangers was was himself hmm. and, wow. and the potential for conceit. Wow. And I, I hate saying these words because I don't want to hear them myself, but it was better for him to be in pain than it was for him to be conceited. Hmm. That That's how much the Lord doesn't want Paul to be conceited. Hmm. You know, that's really striking. I never thought of it that way. The verse, verse 7 begins and ends with that purpose clause, to keep me from becoming conceited. Yeah. Literally, the wraparound purpose. See, he says it was a messenger from Satan. Hmm. So there was demonic malice in this affliction, whatever it was. Yeah. But surrounding the demonic malice was divine benevolence and it, care. It's fascinating because a messenger of Satan to harass me, that's what the devil was doing in this, is yes. harassing Paul, tormenting him. And yet through the same circumstances, the Lord is actually protecting Paul. Yes. I suppose there are three scenarios. One, get rid of the thorn get back to normal, and go on with ministry. Mm. Scenario one. Scenario two, live with this thorn, and my whole life is derailed. I mean, I can't even concentrate to, pre to prepare a sermon. This is hurting so badly. Yeah. So live with the thorn, and ministry is greatly diminished. That's scenario two. Scenario three, live with the thorn, add in the power of Christ, and go into warp speed. <laughs> and that's the scenario god chose for paul yeah gosh that's astonishing isn't it um and i'm struck also in verse um nine that the power of christ may rest upon me as i recall sam the verb translated rest upon was uh, the verb used for the shekinah glory hovering over the holy place in the old testament it's it's tabernacling isn't it yes that kind of word so where does the glory of God reside and rest and dwell in this world right now? On an afflicted believer yeah. 
who's at the end of himself, the end of herself, wondering, how do I even go on? That's where the glory comes. And it's so counterintuitive because we still find ourselves thinking, well, the power of Christ must be in the biggest church, the best church, the brightest pastor, you know, all those kinds of things. But that's the power of Christ here is 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 seen in weak Christian men and women who are clinging on to the Lord. And I think, again, that phrase at the beginning of verse 10, for the sake of Christ. Mm. I wonder if Paul himself actually said that under his breath 10,000 times when okay. this thorn was throbbing, his, his, his body was racked with pain, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ. When we get there, Sam, God can use us. Right, we're, we have the privilege of, of being in Nashville. It's, it's a wonderful city in lots of ways. It's such a spiritually needy city. If we were going to try to reach Nashville on Nashville's terms and be the kind of impressive church that Nashville would find impressive, what would we need to do? Oh, gosh. Well, we would be displaying our impressiveness, our talent, our... Um, charm and so forth and we would it would be an historic setback for the cause of christ in this city from which it might take a hundred years to recover nashville i also think sam is so done with platform impressiveness yeah it is so false and fraudulent what if the christians of nashville admit their failings needs wounds, and so forth. And the Lord meets us there. Mm. Oh, the whole city could show up. It would be yeah. wonderful. Now, what is what is going to compel the attention of Nashville actually is going to be weak Christians. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm so done with being a mighty, you know, formidable man in my own gifts and talents and attainments the trouble is if if we are impressive what that says to everyone else is you've got to be impressive to be around here oh that's right whereas if we are are weak that's so inclusive and if we give the impression that we're really great at this it the the hypocrisy spikes yeah because then everybody starts posing yeah well, lots more we could we could say about that, Ray. We we've mentioned our beloved Chai Packer, um, whose whose ministry has been such a deep gift of God yes. to us for so many years. We yes. we miss him. Yes, we do. Uh, we're grateful for for the legacy of his books. Um, tell us a bit more about Weaknesses Away. Well, it's just a little book that Crossway uh, published three or four years ago, and it's very accessible to every listener. Um, Weakness is the Way by J.A. Packer, written in his latter years hmm. as he was in decline physically in his final years. And it's a profound book on a profound topic from a profound man. What if... What if... Um, our listeners, the past, young pastors listening to this podcast would read that book with their wife mm. and discuss it together. That could put their feet on a path of lifelong profundity mm. and blessing and glory and power. Wow. 
Well, we commend that. Um, we, we're grateful to Crossway as always for, for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, we, we love their ministry and that would be one amazing book to, to get your hands on. Yeah. Thanks, guys. See you next time. You're Not Crazy is a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, hosted by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, produced and edited by Andrew LaPara. Check out more podcast shows from TGC at tgc.org forward slash podcasts.